back to our study of the book of Proverbs. Um, we're still in chapter 6, and we're in verses uh, 12 through 19. So let's go ahead and, and read. A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly, instantly. He will be broken and there will be no healing. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brothers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you and I pray, dear God, please work in the heart of those who hear this and see this video. Oh, God. I pray for these children that they would know Christ that they would learn to walk in the fear of the Lord with holiness and righteousness and great nobility, that they be known in the gates of the city as a people utterly, totally, completely devoted to the Lamb. Help us now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in verse 14 and we're still talking about the, the wicked man who in verse 12, you see, not only is he a wicked man, but because of his wickedness, he's worthless. He's useless to God and the, the advancement of God's kingdom. Not only is he useless in that he is not contributing anything to the cause of Christ, but he's actually harmful and he's fighting against what God is doing in the world. Now, we get to verse 14. It says, with perversity in his heart, continually devises evil, who spreads strife. So, in his heart, you know, his heart is set itself against God. His heart is corrupt. Because of that, he's constantly devising evil. Not just so he gets something out of it. It seems like he's gotten to a place where maybe he just enjoys hurting people. Isn't that amazing? And it says now in verse 14 that he spreads strife, that strife goes out from him. Like he's the source of strife. He's the source of contention. Now, I want to ask you a question. You know, as, as you know, when we're in a family, um, and, you know, we're in close relationships with our brothers and sisters, our mom and dad. Let me ask you a question. Does peace go out from you? The way you live, the way you talk, does it bring peace to your home? Or the way you talk and the way you live, does it bring fighting and strife and turmoil? Do you make people upset or do you calm people down? Is your house and home 
a more peaceful place because of you, because of your word, because of your actions. You know, you may not be a person who is settled in their heart and fighting against God. And yet all these things that we've seen in that person, um, well, they can be in us to some degree. And so instead of just talking theology and looking at scripture, let's look at you for a moment. What is the fruit of your life? Do you, your actions, your words, spread strife, cause there to be anger, bickering, fighting in your home? Or do you bring peace? It's a very important question because God takes great displeasure in those who create strife in the church and in the family. Now, so this strife that he spreads, it's the result always of the heart. Now, this person I've written here is always, there's always conflict surrounding him. There's always some fight, some problem, some argument, and he seems to always be in the middle of it. Now, there's a good uh, proverb, it's a secular proverb, but if you move, you know, 10, 15 times because of bad neighbors, more than likely you're the bad neighbor. You know, none of us can avoid fights. I mean, sometimes they just happen. Quarreling, arguments, uh, sometimes they're even necessary. We have to contend for the faith, Jude says. And sometimes we have to, to fight evil. But here's a question. Is there always fights around you? Always quarreling around you? Do you always seem to be in the very midst of contention? Well, if that's true, then probably there's a problem, isn't there? And that problem is with you. And it's not a problem of intellect. It's a problem of sin. Now, I want you to look uh, with me at the scriptures that I want you to see something. Strife and conflict and contention is, is quite often, quite frequently associated with ungodliness and the ungodly. Now, as I said, even the most godly person in the world will sometimes be in a battle. But if you're always in a battle and you're in a battle with almost everybody, then probably there's a problem. Now, I want us to look at Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. This is what Paul the Apostle wrote to Titus. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man. That means reject a man who's always causing division after a first and second warning. Two chances. Three strikes, you're out. Knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. This is very strong language. So the first thing I want you to see is that some people are always getting in fights about things that just don't matter. Um, there are some things in the Christian faith, not many, but there are some things in the Christian faith that, um, well, people, I, I have dear friends that differ with me on some minor doctrines. We're not going to fight about them. We're not gonna contend for them. They're not the center or the fundamental um, truths of Christianity. I'm not gonna get in a fight 
Uh, we can talk about it, we can disagree, but we're not gonna fight. But there are some people, they'll fight about anything, especially on the internet. You will see people fighting over all kinds of things and many of them don't even know what they're fighting about or they don't even know their position really, they just wanna fight. So we need to be very, very careful. We need wisdom to know when we should fight and when we should not. And again, that comes from renewing the mind in the scriptures. Now, another thing he says here that the fights and the disputes they get into, they're unprofitable and worthless. I have seen people fighting, even about Christianity, and it didn't produce any godliness in them on either side. If, if you're constantly arguing, constantly fighting, you're probably not growing. You're probably not becoming more Christ-like. You just love to fight. In verse 10, a man who causes division, like we see here in the wicked in chapter six, a man who causes division, I mean, really causes strife. Do you know he's to be disciplined in the church? He's to be put out of the church because he's dividing brothers. He's perverted. It's the same thing we see in Proverbs 6, don't we? He's perverted, he's sinning, and he's condemned. Now let's take this back. I, I know that this is talking about someone, a false prophet who's doing horrible things in the church, but let's just think about it. Do you fight about a lot of things, young person? Do you fight with your brothers, your sisters? Do you get in arguments even with your mother and father? Are you always contentious? Is there always a problem around you? Well, then know this. It's a manifestation of, at best, your immaturity, and at worst, your godlessness. And you need to take this seriously. You need to turn to Christ. Jude 18 through 19, it talks about false prophets, and it says, in the last time, there will be mockers following their own ungodly lusts. Now, what's controlling them? An ungodly, unconverted, unregenerate, Adamic heart. It says these are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. So if you have a person who is constantly causing divisions in the church, in the family, how are they described? They're described as following after their own ungodly lusts. They're described as worldly minded as opposed to spiritually minded and devoid of the spirit. Now that doesn't mean that if one of your weaknesses is you contend too much, you fight too much, you quarrel too much, that you're not a Christian. But it can mean that. You need to be very, very careful and you need to grow and prove that you've really come to know Christ. Because remember, you will know them by their fruit, not by what they say with their mouth. Now, I want to look at a few other descriptions about someone who spreads strife. In Proverbs uh, chapter 6, verse 19, it says, A false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brothers. Now, brothers, what are we talking about here? Well, first of all, most likely he's talking about family. I want you to know something. In in the church, in, in, in the church, if you're someone who's constantly spreading strife, you're to be warned, rebuked. 
um, later on, if you don't listen, uh, you're to be rebuked in, in front of the entire church. And if then you don't listen, you're to be put out of the church as an unbeliever. That's how serious this is. Now, for you young people, I want you to think about this and I want you to apply that to your family. No, your family's not going to kick you out. But I want you to think about something. God created the church. It's an institution that he created. But did you know that God also created the institution of the family? And it's very important to him. Extremely important. Now, here's the question. Are you building up the family that God instituted? Or are you tearing it down? Are you the source of peace in your family? Or are you the source of turmoil? You know, it's, it'd be a terrible thing if after you left the home, the home became a lot better place. And we can say that not only for the kids, but for mom, for dad. Are you contributing to the peace of the home? Or are you a cause for constant fighting? When you're gone, is everything wonderful? When you come home, does darkness enter through the door with you? These are hard questions, but they're ones that we need to ask ourselves. Now, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 27 through 28. A worthless man digs up evil while his words are like scorching fire. A perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Now, again, remember when we get to verse 12 over here in Proverbs 6, it says uh, a worthless person, a wicked man. Well, here we kind of have the same thing, don't we? A worthless man, a wicked man. He digs up evil. He looks for it, okay? He brings it up out of his own heart to use, or he just looks for it everywhere. And if he finds some, finds not just evil, but something wrong with somebody, he's going to tear them to pieces. He's going to use it against them. Realize here, there's no mercy, there's no love, there's no kindness. Now, let me ask you a question. When you see your brother or your sister do something that's wrong, do you almost glad that you see it so that you can use it against them, so that you can point it out? Or do you pray for them? Do you try to help them? Are you trying to tear people down or are you trying to build people up? A worthless man digs up evil. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean that if someone's doing terrible or sinful things in your house, you're just supposed to cover it all up. But what it does mean is this. You're to treat that with mercy. Unless, of course, it's some thing that you need to go to your parents about or you need to go to the law about. But I'm just talking about the, the normal general failures of people in the family. You can either keep digging it up, exposing it, keep bringing it to the surface, or you can in love, yes, you may have to challenge the person, but do so in love. If they confess, forgive them and don't bring it up again. A worthless man digs up evil while his words are like a scorching fire. The Bible says speak the truth, but it says speak the truth in love and speak the truth in order to edify, not to burn somebody down to the ground. And that's what we do sometimes, don't we? 
You know, when we see somebody in sin, we a lot of times respond sinfully. When what we should be doing is praying for them, trying to teach them, trying to help them. So a worthless man digs up evil while his words are like scorching fire. A perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. It's amazing. The power of one evil life, the power of one evil deed. Yet at the same time, it is even more amazing, the power of a righteous life and a righteous deed. And you have to decide, are you going to lay on your bed at night and devise evil? Even against maybe some of your family members? Are you going to lay in your bed at night when you can't sleep and try to devise good? How you can bless, how you can show love, how you can care, how you can promote the benefit of your family, your brothers and sisters, your mother and father, how you can promote benefit in the church and how you can promote, promote benefit everywhere. Now, let's go on. Verse 16 or verse 15. Look what happens to this wicked person. Now, uh, we're going to go through 15 through 19 here in just a few minutes because a lot of what we see here is just a repetition. And what he's basically saying, first of all, in 15, his calamity will come suddenly. Instantly he will be broken and there will be no healing. Now that doesn't mean that the moment somebody does something that is wicked, judgment's going to come like that. But it does mean that judgment, when it comes, will come. And sometimes when the judgment of God comes, there's no remedy. What do I mean by that? Well, there are people who have given themselves to such wickedness, they have died just like that, died and judged. But there's wickedness also that we can do. And even though we live, we can't turn back the clock and we can't fix all the damage that it's done. Someone, let me give you an example that just doesn't care about the law and is constantly driving while they're drunk. They may get away with it for years and then one day it's an accident. One day the police pull them over and at that moment everything in their life changes. Remember what I said about the old preacher a few lessons back who said there's a payday someday. It may not be today, but one day there will be a payday. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes we can give ourselves to such evil, such wickedness that it will cause such pain that we can never reverse it. We can never reverse it and no one can help us. Our dad, our mom, no one can get us out of the trouble we're in. It can come that quickly and be that severe. Now he says, will come instantly and the person will be broken and there will be no healing. This happens in death. Once you die, there's no second chances, but it can also happen in life. And I want to iterate that and reiterate it. There are certain things that you can do. Terrible things. And afterwards, yes, God can forgive you. He can save you. But there are some consequences with regard to sin that cannot be changed. And I'm saying this so that you'll fear. 
Not an unhealthy fear, but a healthy fear that causes you to despise evil and turn away from it. Now, verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. This is for emphasis, saying that there are certain things that God truly hates. Now, look at the language. We don't like to use this word, do we, in association with God, but the Bible does use it. There are six things which the Lord hates, and to him they are a disgusting, sickening abomination, something worthy of being hated. And part of maturity as a Christian is to discover those things that God loves and running to them, and discovering those things that God hates and avoiding them like the plague. And if we study the scriptures long enough and we renew our mind, you know what we'll find out? That we're beginning to think like Christ and we're beginning not just to reject certain sin because it, Christ has rejected, but we reject certain sin because we've developed the mind of Christ and we hate it. We hate it. Now, what does God hate? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. What is haughty eyes? Pride. It's pride, but not just pride. Pride that sets you above God and above his throne and above his commands. You say, well, I'm not like that. Well, do you obey his commands? Do you submit to him? Do you follow him? So haughty eyes are the highest eyes that look at God and say, I'm greater. Look at God's commands. I'm wiser. Look at other people and say, I'm not for their use, they're for mine. That's haughty eyes, a lying tongue. So these haughty eyes are, are, are the result of pride and lust. And so that lying tongue comes from the same thing. And it's engaged and it speaks so that your wicked heart can fulfill its desires. And it can even come to the point of hands that shed innocent blood. I imagine that most murderers never thought when they were a little child that they would come to the point where they would murder, where they would take innocent life. I mean, think about it for a moment. Probably at least a person who has gone down in history as the epitome of, of evil, of lust, of murderous rage would be Hitler. And I am I'm pretty sure that when he was a little child playing with his toys or running around with his friends, he would not, didn't even imagine that one day he would be responsible for killing, slaughtering six million Jews and how many other people in the war. Take heed if you think you stand because you just may fall. Your constant prayer should be, O oh Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. You should cling to Christ, cling to his word. Don't trust in your own wisdom. Another thing, so God hates haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans. You say, well, I think about it, but I don't do it. Look at what this is saying. A heart that devises that conspires, that is always thinking about evil things. God hates it. And look what happens. If that heart 
is, gives itself to those kinds of thoughts long enough, then the feet are going to engage and it's going to run rapidly to evil. Do you remember what we saw in the text in the book of Psalms? There was a warning about the wicked, that the wicked did not despise evil. Not only do they not hate evil, they run to it. They run to it. Other place in the scripture says they drink iniquity down like it was water. You can reach a point in your life rejecting God where good becomes evil and evil becomes good. And if you don't think so, we'll turn on the news tonight because that's exactly what's going on in our country. Because men and women and young people have rejected God, they've been given over to their heart and that which is evil they consider good. He goes, their feet run rapid to evil. Another that God hates, a false witness who utters lies. A direct commandment breaker here. The Ten Commandments, we've already seen one of them broken with regard to murder, but now also utters lies. A false witness lying about people, destroying their reputation ruining them in the eyes of other people. A false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brothers. Now, let's go back. I'm not saying that if you do this, you're, you're this kind of wicked person because we all struggle with sin. But do you spread strife in your home? Or are you... A, uh, a source of peace. Are you a peacemaker? Remember what Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall see God. Those who in the context there is not those who are passive, but he says basically those who work hard, even fight for peace, blessed are they. And so here we, we have some amazing things, don't we? That the wicked person is wicked because their heart is wicked. And they are useless to God and to humanity because they are wicked. Now think about that for a moment. Was Hitler useful for anything, anything good? No, no. So many of the Caesars, you can say the same thing about them the rulers in Rome, so many of them were so evil, they did no good at all. And yet, we also see people whose entire lives have been given to the service of others, and because of them, the world is a better place. What kind of person are you going to be? You say, well, one day when I get out of my home, I'm gonna be this kind of person. No, you're not. You need to cultivate it now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't always think one day. You need to cultivate righteousness now. You need to cultivate virtue now. You need to cultivate the mind of Christ. You need to seek, even if you're just barely old enough to hear what I'm saying and understand, you need to constantly be, as, as uh, 1 Timothy chapter four, disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness. Romans 12, renewing your mind. Psalms 1, meditating upon the law of God, cultivating a righteous heart and a righteous mind that you might serve God 
and be a blessing to God's people and stand before him on that great day and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. And always remember that if we stand approved before God one day, it will be only because of Christ and his work on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Please, dear God, please use it in the life of your people. Especially, Lord, this young generation that is coming up in a world that for the most part does not know you. Please help them. In Jesus' name.